everybody, and welcome to the Out of the Box Podcast. I'm Bray Robertson. That is Tom Canterbury. We are back. It is episode 33. We've got a packed show, Tom. How are you feeling? I'm good. You know, the, the weekend could have gone better, but it could have gone worse. So, you know, we're, we're here. Everything's fine. It definitely could have gone better and could have gone worse. You're exactly right. right. <laughs> it went about as medium as it could have. <laughs> right, 100%. But as I said, if you're only going to win one, win the last one so you have some momentum. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that last one when we start at the plate, talk about the Alabama Florida series. Was it overall very good? No. Did the final game, I think, provide Alabama with some actual momentum going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. That's, again, you're, you're not going to get swept because Alabama doesn't get swept, but, you know, sometimes you lose the series. And if you're going to lose the series, as I said, win the last one. Uh, so you have some positive momentum going forward. The games were very even. Even the final score didn't indicate that in the second game, but the games were very even between those two teams. And like like we've said many times, we'll see them again. So uh, hmm. we'll, we'll be able to figure it out sooner or later. Then we will advance to first, talk about a big weekend in the SEC, including some stuff happening tonight. The Georgia Bulldogs proving to be quite the foil for the Oklahoma Sooners out in Athens. I would suggest if you hit a home run, touching home plate, that seems to be a big deal. If you're gonna if you're gonna pull the upset, uh, that's that's pretty vital. Yeah, and of course we've got FGCL Player of the Week, one of which is currently pitching right now for Oklahoma as we speak. Then we will steal second with somebody who did so many times in her college career. That would be the great Caleb Bro from ESPN. We've got lots of questions about everything, and also the return of what's good, bro. What's good, brah? How will I say it this week? We'll find out. <laughs> Look forward to it. <laughs> then we'll round third. We've got Bracketology, a mini mailbag. I picked three questions for us to answer. Then we will head home and do picks as well as off the wall. Because naturally, uh, you know, Alabama lost the game and people were suddenly hmm. asking if they might not make the tournament, which just is ridiculous. <laughs> Again, I, I think Alabama is one of the top 64 teams. I think they're going to make it. Pretty, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I do too. I think we'll be okay. Follow us at out of the box underscore pod on Twitter. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review. Let us know how you feel about the show and make sure that you come and get koozies and stickers going forward. I've got shirts, koozie stickers. They're all at these games. Tom has seen them. People yes. have received them lately. So I have them. They're real. Again, the funniest one was when you actually brought them, but then took them out of your car and left them. <laughs> but, but, this past weekend, I actually saw them being distributed to the fans. So uh, they are real. Other people, someone actually wore a Farskull shirt to one of the games. Yes. I saw that, that picture. I was like, wow, that's big time. We're yes. moving on up. Yeah, shout out Brett Riddle, I believe, is who that was oh, on Twitter. Well, there you go. Yes, that, hey, uh, Brett, thank you. Appreciate it. Good, good job by him wearing the shirt. <laughs> Tom, let's recap Alabama, Florida. Florida takes the first two. Game one, a 2 nothing victory for the Gators. Game two, a 9-2 victory for Florida that we have both said. Uh, the final score, not indicative of how even that game was. Game three, Alabama, a 4-2 win. I think, you know, Florida, yes, they take the series. But I think, all in all, a very even series between two even teams that can be looked at with, uh, with I guess, three turning points that led to 
their results. Game one, it was the Sarah Longley key hit for Florida. That was the difference. Game two, it was Alabama errors. That was the difference that helped elongate that sixth inning that made me want to claw my eyes out. And game three, the difference was the Florida miscues that Alabama took advantage of. So again, you know, I don't think either team actually, I don't think we ever got a game this weekend where both teams played their best. You know, when the other team slacked off, the team that was playing well took advantage. I think probably the closest we got to that was game number one. Um, even though the Alabama offense was struggling, I think you had both pitchers that were just absolutely hitting every spot that they could. Uh, like I said, just the um, the key hit by Longley there in game number one was a difference. And then, and then the, the injury to Claire Jenkins, I think, was uh, something that Alabama just had trouble you know, kind of bouncing back from. And, and it's understandable the way that that happened. The offense that was struggling already uh, really took another shot without Claire uh, when she got, when she was out there. And I mean, you see that injury happen and you can just tell how much it affected uh, everybody on, on the field, her being the, the senior leader that she was. Everyone knew how hard she had worked to get back on the field and uh, to see it because it was one of those things, as soon as the, as soon as it happened, you knew it was, it was not going to be a good injury. Yeah. Uh, so it, you could kind of understand the weight of what had happened. So it was a, uh, I think that had a lot to do with it, but you got to give Hightower a lot of credit. She kept Alabama off balance the entire time. And uh, Faust, like I said, just had that one, the one key hit from Longley and that was a difference. So that, that was a really good game. Game two, you can't give up grand slams. <laughs> I think that's pretty much, uh, you know, I'm not breaking any ground with that. Uh, as George is finding out here tonight, um, grand slams can make a game that is really, really close can can really uh, break it open real quickly and that's what happened there it game much closer than nine to two but the wheels fell off for Alabama in the last three innings capped off by that grand slam but then game three I thought Montana Fouts was even better than she was on Friday yeah and uh and Alabama found the offense they they didn't do it in flashy ways but they found ways to score runs and force some Florida miscues I want to go back to the Claire Jenkins injury for a minute We've talked about this in the past because we had two last year when Claire missed the season. As the self-proclaimed president of the Claire Jenkins fan club, doing TV on Friday night was really difficult because it was just tough to see Claire go down. And some people are going to maybe listen to this and say, really, like, you know, look at her stats. Look at how, you know, she was hitting and how she wasn't really contributing that much to the offensive plan with the Crimson Tide. And, you know, those are fair points. Is, is Alabama going to miss her bat at times? But what they're going to really miss is her leadership. And they're going to miss her ability in the infield. And to have her go down, it really did impact the team, I think, more than maybe the casual fan would expect. Yeah, I, I thought it was just the the mental and the, the emotional impact of it there and the way that it happened. One thing I was looking at, you know, when the Bailey Dowling injury happened, when it very first happened, I couldn't really tell what, what, what really had happened. Right. You know, it was like everybody just kind of came together and then next thing you know, Bailey's on the ground and you didn't really realize how bad it was until you actually could hear her uh, like screaming out in pain. When the, when the injury to Claire happened, you could see it happen. Like it was yeah. 100%. There was no doubt of what had just happened. And so I think that as well, it was kind of just a shock to the system 100%. And like you said, stat wise, the, the bat, isn't what is is going to be the big factor here it's the the defense and just the leadership like I said we've talked we've called her the quarterback at the infield and I don't know if there's many 
teams in America that could withstand losing their two middle starting infielders and and not and not miss much of a beat. So uh, Alabama's having to you know scramble to uh, to kind of make up for that right now. And you miss Claire's defense, you miss Bailey's offense, obviously. So it's a it's a it's a tough one two punch. Absolutely. Speaking of offense, KB sides, good weekend, four for nine. Bailey Hempill, three for four, the double, five walks, an OBP of eight eighty-nine. Mm-hmm. But issues elsewhere. Alexis Mack and Alyssa Brown, a combined two for fifteen with an RBI, a walk, and two strikeouts. Twelve players had one hit or less this week. 12 batters. Tom, situational hitting stunk. <laughs> it was even in the win. The win was the worst of the series. It was 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. Alabama had one hit all weekend, RISP. It was great to get the win, but as we said at the end, Alabama winning that game and the strange, not, not strange, but the very different lineup that we saw does not magically fix all of the issues and that's something that will have to be addressed as we can practice as we get ready to head down the stretch of this season. Yeah, the the injury, not only to Claire Jenkins, but the injury to Lexi Kilfoyle has also kind of thrown everything in, into flux because as much as you miss Kilfoyle pitching in game number two, I think you missed her as DP as much, if not more, throughout all three games. I think it just the fact that you had to totally change what you had kind of solidified as your lineup after the injury to Dowling again it's just been it's been really really tough to see I've this is my seventh year doing this I've never seen injuries that have affected a lineup as much as this one has I mean there's been years like you know the two Demi Turner injury years you know there there was the year or there was a couple of weeks when Bailey Hemphill was hurt as I'm watching Georgia you know I remember she came back in Athens a few years ago after missing a couple of weeks how much that really can change what your lineup is from top to bottom. And that's what Alabama is dealing with now, but it's like compounded with two or three different injuries at the same time. Uh, Jenna Johnson, not hundred percent healthy. So she's not really able to be back in, which we hope she will be uh, by this next weekend. Uh, So in some ways it was a terrible, it's terrible timing for that before, you know, during the Florida series, but at the same time, you do have this non-conference week coming up that you can kind of, maybe move some people around and see what works before the final two uh, conference series. All good points, Tom. I do want to talk about the Kilfoyle injury because this was something that came out on Saturday by design. I mean, if you think Alabama was not aware that Kilfoyle was injured until like 10 minutes before the game, then, you know, you do you, but (laughs) the state of the injury is as such. It is day to day. It is minor. It is pitching related And uh, it is something that requires rest. And Patrick Murphy knew the timing sucked, but said, I need and we need Lexi Kilfoyle healthy for when it counts. And if that means she doesn't pitch this weekend or, you know, maybe a weekend after, again, we don't have an official timetable yet. He said, I'm okay with that. I agree with the move. If it's rest she needs, give her rest. I would like to remind everybody that the best pitching performances you got from Montana Fouts in 2019 were after she missed time from a usage injury. So we'll see how strong Kilfoyle looks when she gets back. But so with her unavailable, we saw what the rest of the pitching staff could do. And yes, they gave up nine runs, 
Only three of them were earned. And I thought overall the rest of the pitching staff did pretty well. I know you've probably got some thoughts about the Kilfoyle injury thing as well, but I know you want to touch on all of the pitching from this past weekend. Yeah, as far as the Kilfoyle injury, um, yeah, it wasn't a surprise to the other pitchers. It wasn't a surprise to the Alabama team. They knew that that was the situation. Uh, no reason to publicize it because if you publicize it, then guess who else knows about it? Florida does. So uh, I think I think that had something to do with why there was a little bit of a, a cloud of mystery around it. Uh, but like you said, it was just it's a injury that only you can can only be done via rest is the only way you can 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 fix it. Um, sucky timing but you know like i said it's better to do it now than it would be for the postseason if you can get her healthy and back to where she was at the beginning of the year for the postseason and alabama has two aces again uh, i think you'll you'll kind of take a couple of lumps here throughout the uh, in the middle part of the regular season uh that being said i think crystal goodman pitched extremely well in her uh start against florida as you mentioned the whole the whole pitching staff uh giving up the nine runs but only three earned i think Crystal Goodman said, you know, kind of showed that she can start games in this league if necessary. Uh, and, and she can be an, a successful and, and useful starter. And yeah. I think she, I think she'll be able to do that. If the, if, if her number is called once is called again, Sarah Cornell, I think is still very capable of doing that as well. You can't give up the long ball. Uh, and that's, that's been uh, an issue for her for a little while. So you got to be able to, to avoid that. And Torrance as well. Uh, for a, a different a different look, uh, I think can definitely pitch in in the conference. Uh, again, it could be a situation where uh, you do the you know one or two times through the order and, and make a switch. Uh, and I think that was Patrick Murphy's plan. He was trying to do it to where he wasn't bringing somebody in mid inning. However, uh, and that's why you saw uh, Goodman pitch a couple of pit, a couple of batters the third time through the order. But overall, I think the plan was just to you know, go crystal twice through the order and then once for the other two and see if it worked out. And unfortunately the, the long ball was given up. Yeah. Patrick Murphy did say when we were talking this week that the wild pitch right before Goodman was pulled on a pitch that was supposed to be located literally the opposite part of the zone uh, was, was the indicator that maybe it was time there. Yeah, I sure. agree. I think the rest of the pitching staff looked good. <laughs> I think also that, you know, we have no illusions that when you get a Sarah Cornell or a Crystal Goodman or a Jayla Torrance, the odds are that you are going to have to score three or more runs to win that game. I mean, we have seen throughout their careers, they have pitched well, but even when they've pitched well, we've rarely seen shutouts from Goodman and Cornell and hard to include Torrance in that because she really hasn't pitched in the pressure situation yet. But mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately the offense, while they did a little bit in game two, they just couldn't back up the Crimson Tide enough and give Goodman and Cornell a healthy cushion. Right. Which again, kind of it go, goes back to my other point about you're missing Kilfoyle, not just in the circle, but at the plate too. Mm -hmm. All right. So this week we've got Southern Miss on Wednesday and then a couple games against Louisiana, them Cajuns coming mm. to Tuscaloosa. I, I hear they're raging those Cajuns. Oh yeah, in. that's right. They've got half of Georgia's roster, half of <laughs> Texas's roster. Oklahoma state sent some people down to Lafayette. Arizona State's old shortstop Jade Gortarez will be rocking the red and black for the Cajuns hmm. or whatever their colors are. It's an interesting team, not a team you can take lightly. But at the same time, Tom, let's be real. In the grand scheme 
of all the games remaining this year, these three games probably matter the least. And as you talked about, Patrick Murphy has a chance this week to move some things around if he wants to maybe test Alexis Mack out back at second against Southern Miss this week. Maybe, you know, maybe Katie sides. I mean, she has practiced in the infield that was years ago, but it has happened. There are a lot of ways that this can be played this week. Yeah. Giving uh, giving Abby door a few more, uh, you know, game game or two behind home plate. Uh, as well as in the lineup, I think will be very key here. And then hopefully a healthy Jenna Johnson, if she's available and she's back to healthy, then uh, it does give you a whole a whole new slew of options because you can move Mac to, to second base if necessary. You can, you know, hit some people in different parts of the lineup. Uh, wherever you feel comfortable putting Jenna, because Jenna can pretty much hit anywhere as well. So uh, that's one good thing about the way the the roster is right now for Alabama. There's a lot of utility type players that can play different positions, different parts in the lineup. There aren't people that are just 100% slotted in one spot overall. So, uh, and that's going to be, I think you're going to see Patrick Murphy kind of go, I'd be shocked if you don't see three 100% different lineups for all three of the games here this week. Yeah, totally. And uh, the lineup will be very interesting. We're going to get to that in the mini mailbag later on. But I think in terms of pitching Wednesday, we're probably seeing Cornell or, or Torrance. And then I think this weekend, like I said, because in my opinion, now this is just the way I think, but of every game remaining the rest of the year, I think that this weekend's games are the least important on the totem pole because they're out of conference and we're not in the postseason. So, yes, you would like to win both. That'd be great. Uh, if you split, is it the worst thing in the world? No, I don't think so. So I think unless Lexi Kilfoyle is 100% ready to go, you can bring her back. If she's even 90%, I'm holding off. So I think this weekend, if she's not 100%, we're probably seeing Montana Fouts game one. And then I think like we talked about, Crystal Goodman, the option in game two. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I don't think there's any, there's not any reason to, to push Lex – you know, this quick, if, if she's not ready, if it's like you said, if it's a, it's a 90% situation, you know, maybe, maybe for an inning at some point, or, you know, maybe one pinch hit at bat, but I, I would be shocked if you see her starting. Yeah. So any more thoughts, Tom, before we put it in play and advance to first? Well, I think it's just, it's important to know and to, to kind of put everything in perspective uh, as we move forward from what happened this past weekend with everything that has happened for Alabama for the tide to still be ranked fifth, sixth, somewhere in there in all the polls, um, you know, that they, they lost the series. They didn't get swept. They, they looked pretty good on, on Sunday. I think it's still, it's important to kind of understand what out that things are still very much in front of Alabama and it's not time to, to jump off the bridge as of yet. Maybe in one scenario, because it's time to advance the first time, and I don't really know who we should be. I guess KB side. <laughs> She's got the hit streak. Let's go with KB. Okay, we're KB because there aren't any other options. We're <laughs> KB sides. Well, again, and, and we've been Bailey several times. It, it, her on-base on percentage was ridiculously good again this weekend. Oh, uh, her conference play correct. OVP is still over 600, which is stupid. It, it is. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but I think we need to give KB some love. I think she's she's really playing really well right now. I uh, just need some help around her. We're going to be KB sides. We have put it in play, and it's time to advance to first. When we get back, is the conversation heating up for a Kayla Kowalik SEC Player of the Year run, despite 
Auburn winning the series over Kentucky. I don't know. Also, we've got FGCL Player of the Week and uh, craziness happening in Athens, Georgia. Man, oh man, the dogs are enigmas yet again. We'll be right back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. That's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. It's time to advance the first and talk about what's happening around the SEC. Now, as sometimes we do, we have recorded the segments out of order. So in a little bit, you will hear us with Caleb Rowe reacting as Georgia ties it up with Oklahoma in the bottom of the seventh. Right now, they are still playing. It's in the bottom of the ninth. So if you hear us react here on this segment of the show, <laughs> that's why. Tom, a lot to talk about around the SEC. Where would you like to start? Do you want to begin with the team that might suddenly be good now? I Trying to pull themselves into the Enigma category, uh, which I think they are certainly there. Yeah, we can talk, we can talk about what's going on with uh, Mickey Dean and, and the Auburn Tigers, that's for sure. What Auburn a, takes two of three from Kentucky. I, 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 I seen, picked it and I was shocked. <laughs> I've seen both these teams. I've seen them both like play a lot uh i've seen him in person what how i have no idea how that how any of that happened this past weekend because kentucky i kentucky remains an enigma they always have been but this is even crazy for them yeah uh, eight errors for kentucky and two losses shelby well maybe maybe if you left people into position for long enough to get comfortable maybe they won't commit so many errors Instead of changing it eight times in every game. <laughs> Rachel Lawson got ejected in one of the games. Shelby Lowe threw the corner games, the booking games in the series. It was just craziness. And now Auburn's starting to get the run production to help out their pitcher, Shelby Lowe. And also Maddie Pinta picked up a win this week. But I think mm-hmm. the bigger story, Kentucky's Kayla Kowalik. Eight of 11, two RBIs, a home run, a couple doubles, two runs scored, two for two stolen bases. She was not the pick for either of us for midseason SEC player of the year. Tom, I think she's my pick now, and I, I'm not sure it's close, honestly, because I, I don't know if there is a more versatile player in the entire country, certainly let alone the SEC. Yeah, I just I don't know if I, if I would pick her yet just because her team's in kind of the middle of the pack in the conference. Now, the award isn't best player on best team, but that's – a lot of times what it becomes. Right. Um, I think she's certainly in the conversation and she is having the type of year where she will get heavy consideration regardless of where her team finishes. But if Arkansas wins their first SEC title with Burnside setting records, I'm going to find it hard to believe that she will not win, win the, win, win the player of the year. Uh, if Bailey Hemphill goes on a tear here, at the in the last couple of weeks of conference play, and Alabama only finishes a game or two out, uh, I think Bailey has has a say in it as well. Uh, but Kowalik's certainly in the conversation at this point. That's for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I do think right now we are down to three: Kowalik, Kimpil, and Burnside. Bailey leads the unsexy categories like walks and OBP and RBI. She's you know, she's got a healthy advantage there. And that is one of the quote unquote sexy categories, but it's hard to build a case when you're getting walked five times a weekend. So yeah, it's the, re- the rest I, of, I don't know how it's going to go. 
yeah, the rest of the lineup's going to have to start producing to where they're not going to be able to walk Bailey for her to really put up those numbers. She sits right now at 58 career home runs, and that's two behind uh, Kelly Kreshman's Alabama all-time record. I would certainly hope that she will she will get those and catch Kretsch, but again, she, she's gotten to the point now to where she sees she gets one really solid at bat and may see two or three good pitches to hit a game. And so the rest of the lineup is going to have to help pick her up. All right. As we are watching the conclusion of Georgia, Oklahoma, let's talk about what Georgia did last weekend, which was not show up against Arkansas game one, a 10, three loss, Mary Wilson, Avant, AKA the truth goes six innings, seven hits, nine runs, five of those earned five walks and six strikeouts. I just don't understand her anymore because I called her the truth because of some outings we saw a couple years ago, because of the outing earlier this year against Florida. Yes, Oklahoma has six runs tonight. I think Mary Wilson-Avan has pitched an incredible ball game for Georgia. And then she has games like this, where Georgia just can't seem to get out of a hole against Kentucky a couple weeks ago or against Arkansas this past weekend. And I'm not sure what to make of the Bulldogs. I'm not, I'm not sure either. That's, that's why another one of the reasons why you know, I kind of put them in that enigma category. There's so many different teams in this league that they can either come out and play with an Oklahoma or they can get get run ruled by an Auburn. Uh, there's there's so many different ways they can go. And I think something positive. I don't have a TV in my room. What what has happened, Gray Roberts? Georgia has just walked off Oklahoma seven to six. The streak is over. Wow. <laughs> I am just so glad that Oklahoma's streak does not hinge on a Georgia player missing home plate on a, on a on a home run. But she's the one that had the RBI, Jaden Fields, oh, which well, is there just, you go. it's perfect. Uh, it's all full, full circle. Well, good. Good for her. Now they'll get run rolled in game two, but. Oh, absolutely. It, <laughs> it may be 15, nothing in game two, but uh, good. Congratulations. And I remember when we talked, when we had our round tra- table with our friends from in the circle, and uh, we said, who can beat Oklahoma? A couple of us mentioned that, you know, looked at that Georgia type series because this is something, again, we recording out of order, something we're going to talk with Caleb Bro about. But, you know, a teams like UCLA, like Oklahoma, their best chances of losing are against teams that don't that they don't see on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the fact that, you know, Oklahoma had never seen the truth before the truth set Georgia free. Amazing. All right, let's talk about Arkansas. Anything you want to add about there? I I thought it was interesting that they went storms half bloom this weekend instead of the usual half storms and then whatever they want to do. Right. Autumn storms in game one, I think, shows just how well she was pitching against Alabama that she already could surpass Mary Half and be the uh, the option they wanted to go with in game one against the Dogs. Yeah, it, it actually surprised me earlier in the year that half had gotten ahead of storms, but I think that was because of some injury issues with autumn. So uh, I think now that she's back hundred percent healthy, that's you're not going to get much better of a one, two punch in the circle than what Arkansas has. And, um, and if you're able to get those first two wins, then you can go with bloom who is not bad, you know, herself, but you can start bloom and then just bring in either half or storms, whichever one you think matches up better in relief there in game three to, to shut everything down. All right, let's take a look at Columbia, Missouri. Mississippi State got swept again, Tom. <sighs> I, all right, let's look ahead. The, uh, the Bulldogs have remaining Texas A&M at South Carolina and Georgia, who just 
again, to reiterate, knocked yeah. off the number one team in the country like two days after getting swept by an Arkansas team that, in my opinion, is probably the third most talented team in the conference. So, right. you know, I, I suddenly am not sure Mississippi State's going to win a game in that series. I Where's the win come? They had two one-run losses this weekend against Missouri. A couple times I thought they were going to finally get over the hump, and they just couldn't. It's got to happen at some time. Where is that win going to come? Well, I don't think either team in the series with South Carolina is going to get a sweep. So I think that if they don't have a win before then, I think Mississippi State gets at least one from South Carolina. But, yeah, I could easily see them getting swept in the other two. And that that may be the biggest surprise of the conference slate is not just that – it's not that Mississippi State isn't at the top of the league – but they are not good at all, and they should have been much better than this. That they, they, you look at their lineup, and it should be a very feared offensive lineup, and uh, just no one has performed anywhere near their capabilities in Sartville. Mm. It's disappointing for sure. Missouri, I think, continues to show that uh, the they're led by the offense. Jenna Laird, your SEC freshman of the uh, of the week, six for nine, five RBIs, a couple homers, a couple doubles, a walk, six runs scored. I, I didn't learn a lot about Missouri this weekend. We're going to learn a lot about them coming up because in the future they've got series with Arkansas and Florida just down the road. They're right now in fourth in the conference, but they are, certainly do not have that wrapped up with those type of series coming up. Now that being said, Missouri can do a lot to kind of help the very fading chances of Alabama coming back up. If, if Missouri is able to, uh, to take both those series against Arkansas and Florida, it, unfortunately that helps Missouri too, because they're, <laughs> they're right behind Alabama, but it, they could do a lot to kind of make this a closer race uh, if they're able to do that. But the fact that we think that's even a possibility, I think is a credit to what Larissa has done in, in Columbia and uh, have brought this Tiger program to the, the upper the upper echelon of the conference, which is amazing to say at this point. Next series up, Ole Miss taking two of three at Texas A&M. Bigger story here, the rise of Ole Miss to middle of the pack or the recent fall of Texas A&M? Because this is a team that was playing really good softball. They come to Tuscaloosa, they get swept, and since then, the downhill trajectory has been sharp. And this team, it got to a point where in game three against Ole Miss – they led off with Haley Lee, which statistically, I mean, you know, her OBP is really good. That's great. Mm -hmm. But it kind of shows the desperation move that they felt they had to have to win that game and avoid the sweep against Ole Miss. A&M did win that game, but Lee was hitless. Either way, it's really interesting to see how far the Aggies have fallen just in the last couple of weeks. I would say, you know, Currently, Texas A&M is the bigger story. I think overall for the season, Ole Miss's improvement is a bigger is a bigger overall story. But yeah, it's really shocking what has happened with Texas A&M because yeah, when they came to Tuscaloosa, uh, Herzog led the conference in in ERA. Um, they were hitting the ball really well. They had gotten themselves into the top twenty five. Uh, but since that sweep in Tuscaloosa, they've gone on a free fall and yeah, like I said, had to pull out every stop there was to be able to beat Ole Miss in, in one game and avoid being swept in college station against a, you know, a much improved, but still middle of the pack Ole Miss team. So um, there's certainly a lot of issues still in college station that we thought may have been fixed uh, prior to their trips to Tuscaloosa. 
And Ole Miss still a team I don't really know a lot about. I have seen them sparingly. I'll get to the film in a couple weeks when they come to Tuscaloosa. But I will reiterate what we've said. That series no longer a pushover. Ole Miss yeah. is a legitimate mm-hmm. threat to maybe – Maybe not win the series, but certainly take a game, and it will not be an automatic sweep for the Crimson Tide for sure. No, especially if there are still lingering injury issues that haven't been resolved by that point. And again, we 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 think that there are you know a few of these injuries are season enders, but when I say resolved, I mean figured out what the plan is moving forward without those players. Right. One last series to get to Tennessee losing game one against South Carolina. They won the series. Tom, I do want to talk about game one. Because that ending, a sack fly, I guess a sack foul out in like behind home plate ish, behind right, where the first baseman and the catcher collide. The first baseman makes the catch. The runner at third for South Carolina in the eighth tags up and comes in to score because Josie Willingham, who was catching, was not holding on to the ball. I, I don't know. It was wild. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing was was nuts, and I think that kind of showed South Carolina was like we 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 might not have another chance. We got to go ahead and, and try to score any possible way we can. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a sacrifice fly out to the catcher to end the game, uh, but or the first baseman to end the game. But that's that's what happened there. It just kind of shows you as many times as you you can see a hundred games a year, you're going to see something different happen. Uh, at some point and yeah, just a, a, a crazy ending uh, but props to Tennessee after that type of ending to come back and and to take the series after it Kiki Malloyer SEC player of the week Ashley Rogers SEC pitcher of the week Ashley Rogers may be in the mix for SEC pitcher of the year I mean we really haven't talked about her but it would be I, I will definitely say this Ashley Rogers is the most valuable pitcher in the SEC because without her this Tennessee team Probably not where they are. <laughs> well, certainly not. No, you could make an argument for most valuable pitcher with to be Montana Fouts, but part of that is because Lexi Kilfoyle is injured. Right. If you had if you had a one hundred percent healthy uh, Kilfoyle, then you know you had the one two punch like you have at Arkansas. Uh, but there is no one two punch at Tennessee. It's Ashley Rogers, and hope for the best in game two. <laughs> it's one punch and then duck for the Lady Balls. <laughs> Shall we move on to FGCL Player of the Week? I'm looking forward to this. I saw a couple of FGCL players here this weekend. Uh, somebody got a game-winning RBI I wasn't real happy about, but that's, well, you know, that, that We're going to talk about her right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Wonderful. As usual, only 2020 FGCL participants are available. We've got six nominees. We will pick a winner. This will be our 10th winner of the year, Tom. Are you ready for the nominees list? Let's go. All right, first up, from Florida, Sarah Longley, two for nine, two RBIs, three strikeouts, a run scored, but those two RBIs came in game one on a single in the second, the only runs of the game in the 2 nothing victory over Alabama. Yeah, congratulations to her. I have a feeling Sarah Longley might not get a vote (laughs) for the top two. (laughs) She might not make it. We'll see. Kelsey Bennett, Virginia Tech, five for 12, seven RBIs, two home runs, a walk, two strikeouts, four runs scored. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lindsey Tony Gay, Towson, four for nine, five RBIs, two home runs, a double, three walks, three strikeouts, two runs scored. We've got Abby Stewart from Clemson, five for 12, four RBIs, a double, a walk, two runs scored. 
Riley Ludlam, Furman, six for 18, two RBIs, three doubles, a strikeout, two runs scored. And by the way, she had three of her team's four RBIs earlier today. So watch out for Riley Ludlam on next week's list. And finally, I mean, the, uh, you know, the customary mention of Mac Leonard, Illinois right, State. Sure. Yeah. Five for 13, four RBIs, a home run, a double, three walks, a strikeout, three runs scored. In the circle, 11 and two-thirds, 14 hits, five runs, all of them earned, four walks, eight strikeouts. In game two of their series against SIU, a huge series in the Missouri Valley, Mac Leonard had a solo home run in the bottom of the sixth to tie it at three on the way to a 4-3 win. Illinois State did win that series two to one. So, Tom, your two picks are? Hmm. I think I'm going to go – Seven RBIs are a lot, so I'll go with Kelsey Bennett from Virginia Tech. And I'll leave it up to you, Gray. Should it be Ludlum or Leonard? Let's give it to Mac. Yeah. Let's give it to Mac. I think the impact of that series in the Missouri Valley race is really important. All and right, so, so that- because of that, Mac Leonard, I think, has the edge over Kelsey Bennett as well. Mac Leonard has now won three times FGCL Player of the Week, even though she was not our midseason FGCL Player of the Year. Perhaps I feel guilty because I didn't pick her. Either way, she's the uh, she's the week Tim winner, Mac Leonard. Well, as we're seeing with uh, some of our other picks for midseason awards too, uh, just because you're not the midseason doesn't mean you can't win the overall. That's right. So. That's right. And I just have a request: if everyone in the league could kind of step it up, because usually <laughs> I have like nine people that I narrow it down to from the initial 15 that I put on the list. Tom, you've seen me make this document. I'll copy and paste 15 people in there and then have to cut, you know, 10 folks off the list this week. Didn't have a ton of nominees. So we need some more players to step up. I expect this to be an anomaly in the grand scheme of FGCL tracking. I mean, it, it, it's shown itself to me, like I said, this is our 10th one and, this is the first time we've kind of been searching for nominees. So uh, I, I expect it will be. I think everybody will kind of get back to it here this next weekend. All right, Tom, are you ready to go back in time? Yes. Get into DeLorean. Yes. There it is across. We're getting the sign. It's time to steal a second. Again, we recorded the segment earlier. So you're going to hear reactions to a game that finished while we recorded the segment that's before the segment you're about to hear does that make sense maybe (laughs) we 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 grabbed we grabbed the gauntlet infinity gauntlet and got the time stone and we're going just going to go back in time yes and we made sure to go get the stone that didn't result in either me or tom hurtling (laughs) himself off a cliff no one went off the cliff that you can never come back from the only place in in the entire universe you cannot come back from at Auburn. All right, either way, it is time to steal second here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Caleb Rose joining us in a second. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. That is Tom Canterbury. I am Gray Robertson. It is time to steal second here on the show. And joining us now, one of our besties, one of our favorite guests. You know her from ESPN and the Seven Innings Podcast and the wall at Rhodes Stadium because she's an All-American who played at Alabama. Kayla Bro is here. What's up, bro? How are you? Hey, thank you for elevating me to bestie status. I'll take that all day. <laughs> so I say, if you've ever done a pod in person with us in a conference room in Clearwater, Florida, you're a bestie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so... There's a lot to get to from last week, and we have to start with the developing story of the night, and that is Oklahoma not run ruling Georgia in game one. Georgia had the lead for most of the way until uh, a Lindsey Elam grand slam at the time put it out of reach. The dogs have cut it to one run as we record right now, so maybe we're all going to kind of together watch as this game ends as we do this interview, but what have you gleaned from watching this matchup here tonight? Because I feel like Mary Wilson Aban has done some things that could provide a blueprint for teams going forward against the Sooners. You know, it's making me excited for the postseason because for so many weekends this season, you just keep hearing how untouchable Oklahoma is. And then they go and do what they did to Texas last weekend, run rolling them three times, basically leaving no doubt that they're the best team in the country. Now I'm like, oh, here is a situation where they're playing a tough team and they can be beat. You get a really solid pitching performance. Georgia, who's been a a tough defensive team this year, had some pretty bad moments and bad games defensively, has played shutdown defense. They've given themselves a chance to win this ball game. They've had some good quality at bats. They kicked G. Juarez out of the game. They kicked Shannon Sale out of the game. So, hey, you know, it just, again, I'm excited for the postseason because it makes me feel like anything is possible now. Because when you look into the postseason, you're going to get teams that don't normally play each other hopefully matching up and that, that I think that's going to be one of those ways that you can beat somebody like Oklahoma like UCLA it's somebody that they don't see on a regular basis and they might be able to come up and surprise them yeah without a doubt and there's no way that a team like Oklahoma doesn't look at the Texas and the Red River rivalry and say hey like this is a big game like and you don't come ready to play but you maybe overlook the midweek against Georgia so I can totally see that and I think a team like a UCLA with a Megan Faramo and a Rachel Garcia has a, a chance to be Oklahoma with their pitching staff after what we've seen today from Avant pitching pretty well. Yeah. Now I'm going to just say this, obviously we're recording during game one. I expect an Oklahoma run rule in game two. Sorry to the Georgia pitching staff, everybody <laughs> behind the truth to me is not going to be able to shut down Oklahoma, but I think that this is a very interesting result if it does hold at a 5-4 Oklahoma victory. Caleb Rowe joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Now we get to talk about last weekend, and of course we're going to start with Florida-Alabama. The Gators take two of three. Bro, I know you were watching all weekend long. What were your main takeaways from that series in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, you know, I'm never going to make excuses ever for, you know, if you're Alabama, no matter what you're at you're going to expect to win at home. But at the same time, you can tell that this Alabama team, in my opinion, is depleted. I I think obviously losing Claire this weekend hurts. But beyond that, I mean, really, I think Jenna Johnson plays a big factor that you forget about. Obviously, Bailey Dowling at the time when she was uh, when she got injured was the best power hitter on the team, sans Bailey Hemphill. So you just Lexi Kilfoyle doesn't go this weekend. It's just a completely different series if you're healthy, but the reality is, is that you're not healthy. So how do you figure out ways to win? And I thought Alabama could have done a better job of trying to be creative at the box and try and make some things happen offensively because they were just so, 
I give credit to Elizabeth Hightower. She did a really good job of mixing up her pitches, spotting up her pitches. Well, I don't think she has incredible movement or anything like that, but man, her precision Mm -hmm. and where she spots the ball is just so stinking good. And, you know, so I think if Alabama can get Kilfoyle healthy, it's a different game too. I think if they can find a way to get Jenna Johnson back in the lineup, find some production off of the bench, somebody that will step up and do something positive. Again, you have a chance to beat Florida two out of three. I will say in game three, and this was reiterated after what she did at Arkansas, but Montana Fouts is a freaking gamer. Like I love watching her get the ball. Like you get the ball in her hands and she just has this look about her. It says, I'm ready to go. I'm not going to waste this pitch, this opportunity. And she's better on Sunday than she is in game one. Like that's tough to do. So I think you got to, for what Alabama's working with, I think – it's might be time said Montana says, Hey, everybody hop on my back. I'm going to take us there because that might be what they need. But Florida's a tough team. I just think they're so disciplined. I think that's where Florida I see is just so tough to beat is they just go to business. They're not flashy. They don't do anything off the charts. Great, but they do every single facet of the game. Well, and that's just tough. Uh, I think those are very fair criticisms. I do want to give you a chance, though, to maybe brag on the alma mater for just a moment because it would have been very easy with the way things were going, like you said, just being absolutely depleted for Alabama to kind of just fold the tents and say, this isn't our weekend, come back come back next weekend. But Alabama hasn't been swept at home since 2004 in a three-game series. Uh, you know you know about that. You were part of that. Um what is it about this Alabama program and, and what Patrick Murphy does that keeps you from, you know, Alabama just doesn't get swept. It doesn't happen. Even if a team is far heads and shoulders better, they're not going to sweep you. Yeah. They call it championship Sunday for a reason. And that's something that Patrick Murphy ingrains into this team is that when you're at the Rhodes house, you understand the value of playing with your home fans. So you never take that for granted and you come to fight tooth and nail every single inning that you're out there. And so when you lose the first two games and, And I've had that, I've been in that situation where we've been, you know, lost the first two games to Florida and been down or whoever it is. And we've had to fight back to win game three on Sunday. And it just shows you the grittiness and the competitiveness that this team has and that pretty much every Alabama had has team has had since 2004 because they just don't lose in those situations. So again, that's what Murphy builds when you step on a campus is again, you value roads, the roads house and you don't take it for granted, and you will not take losing ever as an option. (laughs) I want to expand a little bit more before we move on, Kayla, on your Montana Fouts point, as, by the way, Oklahoma just scored (laughs) 6-4 in the seventh. But I think considering what we know, and considering that Lexi Kilfoyle was not available this weekend to throw, we might be seeing some of the best ball in Montana Fouts' career. Because you look at what she did last weekend against Arkansas in game three, and then what she did in both of the games, really, but in particular game three against the Gators, knowing that if she couldn't get it done, Kilfoyle wasn't there to help her out. It was just so impressive to see her throwing as well as she was. And I think her rise ball is moving the best it has throughout her time in Tuscaloosa. Nailed it. You took the words from my mouth because that's kind of been the difference. What I felt is that she's always had the low stuff working for her really consistently, but the fact that she can get the rise ball for some huge strikeouts this season has been kind of refreshing, honestly, to see. She's just mixing it up a little bit more than I've seen in years past. 
used to go with that curveball a lot, fastball, maybe a little bit of a drop, but the rise ball has been excellent. And, you know, I think what the moral of this story is, is, you know, that Montana is good for seven, but I think you're going to have to start getting creative. If, if Kilfoyle isn't healthy and even if she does return at a limited capacity, how do you mix Kilfoyle, Goodman and Cornell and, and even getting a freshman in there to just try and give some different looks inning after inning, you know, you hit them once through the lineup, switch out pitchers, hit them once through the lineup, switch out pitchers, just to try and give yourself the best chance to help your offense on the other side of things and limit the runs as much as possible. With the results this weekend, barring epic collapses by both of them, Alabama's probably out of the regular season uh, chance to win the conference title. Uh, so it leaves it with Arkansas and Florida. Um, they're they're even right now in the loss column. Uh, I think uh, Florida is one series down, so they'll make that up here this weekend. Uh, who do you think has the edge between Florida and Arkansas at this point, seeing they don't play each other? That's a good question. I look at Arkansas and I see their schedule. And I, when I called their game a few weeks ago, I looked at their schedule and I was like, wow, they have an extremely winnable schedule after mm-hmm. Alabama. The fact that they didn't play Florida, they didn't play Kentucky this season, it's a big deal. And they didn't play Tennessee. That's another tough one. Ashley Rogers would have given them a run for their money. But I look at it, and Missouri is a good team. They can go toe-to-toe with Arkansas offensively, but they don't have the pitching to match Mary Half and Autumn Storm. So I think that's a very, very winnable series. And then LSU, you just don't know what LSU team is going to show up this year. I Sometimes they've looked fantastic. Other times they look like a very mediocre SEC team. And so I think that Arkansas has a lot of power. Obviously, they control their own destiny. They, destiny, they went out. They're good to go. But, man, being in the lead spot, never being there before – is a lot of pressure. And Florida's been there before. Florida knows that they just take care of business. Arkansas is going to slip and they're going to have them right where they want them. So that's just a great question. But, you know, I want to say Arkansas, but sometimes I lean Florida just because they've had that pressure before and they've experienced that of having a title potentially on their shoulders every single time they go out to the circle. Caleb joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. So you had the Tennessee-South Carolina series this past weekend. Tom is going to ask about South Carolina next, but I want to start with Tennessee. This team is so interesting to me. I, I found it really fascinating that the game they lost this weekend was one of the Ashley Rogers games. She came back, looked really great on Monday. Do you feel like this is a Tennessee team that can, like you kind of talked about with Montana and Alabama, that could ride Ashley Rogers to OKC possibly because their offense is good, but obviously they don't have the pitching depth behind Rogers, I think to win a national championship, but they could get there. I honestly have found so many similarities between Tennessee and Alabama, mostly because, you know, you have Rogers and Fouts, they're totally comparable. And then, Tennessee, just like Alabama, has dealt with injury all season long, whether it's injury, COVID protocol, they have never had their full roster yet this season. So, you know, Amanda Ayala, a huge piece of their team out with an ankle injury. Uh, They're hoping to get her back before postseason. Uh, Riley West out because she has mono trying to get her back before postseason. So really interesting stuff. They've had COVID protocol last week where they had they lost Allie Shipman for a game. Uh, So they are kind of in the same boat as Alabama, where they just haven't had all the pieces to click together that they need. Now, that being said, when they do get those pieces, 
I think Ashley Rogers can be anybody in the country one time. So if they give her a little bit of run support, you know, somebody like a Kiki Malloy, Kaylin Hannon had a really nice weekend, then all of a sudden they're in business. So I, I think that it's an interesting sign that they lost game one of the series with Ashley Rogers, but their defense didn't show up to play, neither did their offense. What's more important to me is in game two, all season long, if you go look at how they've hit comparatively games two versus games one and three in the SEC, their batting averages drop a ton in game two. So the fact that they at least rebounded and came back and put some offense together in game two is a really good sign because they just were not showing up for the number two pitchers on that staff. So South Carolina, I shocked my partner. I shocked the world by picking them to finish last in the preseason in the SEC I got, I was uh, berated by South Carolina people because of it. Uh, but I just, I kind of saw some of these issues they were going to have. What, what is, what do you think is going on? What is wrong at South Carolina? You know, unfortunately it, it all stems from the pitching circle. I mean, they have a talented offense. You look at the leadership they have from Mackenzie Bozel and Kenzie McGuire. They're both hitting above 400. They're in top five SEC ranks in terms of batting average on base percentage, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, not enough. And the reason it's not enough is because their pitching staff, I think is a little bit lethargic in the circle where they just can't produce crisp innings. It's no command, no um, control in the circle on their pitches. They just have struggled all season long to find somebody that's going to say, I want the ball and I'm going to go out there and give you my best performance. And they actually had a really good performance in game one against Tennessee from Carson Oaks, who did a really nice job put together a complete game, uh, almost had a shutout she had a shutout through six innings but gave up two home runs in the seventh but uh, she's a solid pitcher but then in game two it's just she didn't even last an inning so just no consistency there and unfortunately you just feed off of all of the energy and momentum in the circle and when your pitchers walk a lot of people when they don't get strikeouts for you it just slows and delays the game and you just get your like energy sucked out of you so unfortunately South Carolina is not an untalented team they just don't really have the consistency to be good in this league. Mm, brutal, but honest words from Kayla bro about South Carolina. Speaking <laughs> of brutally honest, we were having quite the text conversation a couple weeks ago when Auburn was playing Arkansas. I think the gist of it was poor Shelby Lowe. She's getting zero help out there. And now all of a sudden, the Tigers are helping Shelby Lowe. And lo and behold, they're winning series. Is Auburn <laughs> good now? What's going on? <laughs> it's amazing. It's like a light bulb went on and where they're like, hey, guess what? We have a really good pitching staff. We should probably score some runs to help them out. And they did. I was super impressed that they took two out of three from Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky's a pretty tough team offensively. And when you have a a Shelby Lowe and a Maddie Penta, you got a chance to win every single game that you play in this conference. And they just needed a little bit of run support and they finally got that. Um, you know, they have some players on their team that are starting to kind of figure it out. I think, you know, you look at like Alyssa Rivera, Justice Perry, who are two of the veterans on that team. I mean, at the beginning of the year, they were really struggling to be quite honest. And it finally feels like they've taken a little bit of pressure on themselves and they're having a little bit more fun at the plate. And kind of have, you know, they really didn't have much to lose um, with the way they were playing earlier because you're going to get good support from your pitching staff. So go up there, don't overthink the process, just go in there and drive the ball, get runs in. So now that they're starting to do that and click into place a little bit, I think they're going to have a easier time the rest of the season. 
big series this weekend out west with UCLA and Washington. Um, so we just assume UCLA is going to win the non-Gabby Plain games. Uh, do you think UCLA can get can give Gabby her first loss of the season? You know, that's going to be a really good question. I think they absolutely have a chance to give her her first loss of the season. And the reason is, is I think that they've had that consistent challenge against somebody like a Brooke Yanez that, you know, got them twice. And then they finally got her in the third time they faced her. So I think there's going to be an opportunity that UCLA has that said, okay, we can't really just take these pitchers for granted. We got to really go in with a solid plan. And I think the difference is, is UCLA hadn't seen Oregon's Brooke Yanez, but they have seen Gabby playing plenty of times. She yeah. is no mystery to them. She knows exactly, they know exactly what she throws, had a lot of experience. So for me, I think it's a no doubter that UCLA takes one from Gabby Plain, but I wouldn't be shocked too if Gabby Plain takes one right back. So I'm hoping to see uh, she at least throw her twice in this series this weekend in the games that matter out of the four. Before we talk about some of the SEC series coming up, I do want to ask you about something we discussed because uh, we have seen a lot of the top teams who we thought would be in the conversation with Oklahoma and UCLA suffer drastic injuries, lose crazy games, drop contest to teams they have no business losing to and it all seems like we're just clearing the way for a UCLA Oklahoma rematch in the champ series is that the vibe you have right now looking around college softball or could more upsets be out there keeping in mind as again as we're recording Georgia does have the tying run at the plate in the bottom of the seventh against Oklahoma right now in game one you know here's where I look at this whole uh atmosphere of college softball right now in the landscape of what we have going on is that you look for teams that are complete that can do everything really well obviously Oklahoma can do everything well UCLA does everything well and I think what's tough is that anybody can be anybody once on a given day but the nature of the postseason is you got to beat somebody twice you have two losses so how can you figure out a way to beat somebody twice whether it's in Regional, super regionals are at the World Series and in the champ series, even you got to you got to beat somebody twice. So I think that's what's interesting is just the difficulty it is when you have teams like that. How do you beat them twice? UCLA has obviously been proven to been been able to beat twice this year. But, man, I'm hoping we get parity. It's more fun. I like the drama. I like the upsets. I, I like it when it's interesting when you see these new players like come to play i mean mary wilson avant great example had a really good game against oklahoma today just barely a pitch away from getting a victory so i think there's a chance i want there to be a chance that that's what makes the postseason fun big weekend in the uh in the sec coming up this weekend where alabama is out of conference but uh what series jump out at you this weekend yeah, I like the Arkansas-Mizzou series a lot. I think it's going to be, if you like offense, stick around for that one. I think it's going to be a really, really nice one. I think now with the way this game is going with Oklahoma and Georgia, Georgia showing so much competitiveness and fire and being able to hit G. Juarez, I think the Tennessee-Georgia series could be a fun one. It's an opportunity for Tennessee to kind of start to click and figure out, okay, what's their identity? Who are they moving forward? Because that was something really cool that Karen Weekly said in our calls last week, she said that, you know, with the COVID missed weekend, she kind of had this opportunity to look at it and tell her team that now everything moving, moving forward is like the second season. We're kind of getting like a refresh, a restart. 
And after losing to South Carolina, they pretty much looked uh, like a solid, complete team after that. So uh, a good opportunity for them to go face a, a tougher challenge at Georgia and see if they can rise to the challenge. And I think the Avant Rogers head to head is going to be a really good one too. I hope so. I mean, Mary Wilson Avant, I think tonight proved why, I've been hyping her up so much over the years. I, I still got teased in the group chat for calling her the truth as Georgia has an RBI to make it six, five in the bottom of the seventh, but with two outs, by the way, this is what a crazy game this is. Uh, I, I will Doesn't this get you fired up for the postseason though. Watching these types of games. You're like, Oh yeah. Yes, parody. I mean, <laughs> and this kind of goes into our next question, bro, because I mean, we talked about the desire for parody, but at the same time, I feel like if, we all gave our eight picks for the women's college world series. It would probably be eight out of the same 10 team grouping. So do you feel like there is a team out there beyond the top 10, top 15 that maybe won't be a seeded team that we should all be looking out for? Well, I can tell you right now, uh, based upon what I saw, Georgia beating Florida once, Georgia upsetting a couple people this year, this year coming in and playing against Oklahoma the way they have. I wouldn't want Georgia to come and play me. I wouldn't want a school like Louisiana to come to play me. I think, mm-hmm. like, you look at some of the outliers, too. Like, we talk about, like, somebody like a Hope Troutwine, like, who just threw a, you know, 21 strikeout no-hitter. Like, there's going to be some anomalies that come into town that you're not really ready for that show up and say, hey, I don't care who you are. I'm going to go and pitch or hit my best, whatever it may be. So I think there's an opportunity for some upsets depending on the seedings. I don't think I'd want Kentucky to come because I think right now they're seeing themselves as they lose, finding themselves on the outskirts, but they've got a potent offense. If they click in the circle, they can score a ton of runs and go upset somebody. So I think there's quite a few teams um out there that are going Arizona State another great one <laughs> like they're upsetting teams they just upset Arizona last weekend I, I mean there's some outside of those top 10 top eight teams that I think can compete all right before we uh, yeah before we go to what's good bro I do want to point out as we are recording again it is six five Oklahoma over Georgia we just had a text that reminded us that this game should be tied but a fields home run was called a triple because she didn't step on home plate. Caleb bro, we are getting essentially your immediate thoughts to that potentially being the decider here in game one. And I know you don't like it. (laughs) It's just, it's so hard because I understand like you have to touch home plate. That's been the rules forever. That's a given you're a player. You know, if you hit a home run, you have to touch every single base and touch home plate problem that I have is that it should be like a warning. It should be like, hey, go back and touch it. Like, hey, you didn't do this here. Rather than being an out, because guess what? It's a dead ball and it really doesn't matter. It's all for show. So that's where I struggle. It's it's just for rules being rules. It doesn't actually affect the game in any capacity whatsoever. We're tied up in Athens. Holy cow. Let's go. I This is what I'm talking about. Chills. Give me chills. And they have a runner in scoring position too. In the seventh, runner on third, 60 feet away for the win. And they would have just walked it off, guys. They would have just walked it off. (laughs) Oh, man. We always do things we've never done before on the show with Caleb Rowe. We'll we'll just be like live 
following this game <laughs> everybody will know the results people will right. be They'll, getting our reaction people will be listening like guys we know what happened yeah we let's know what happened uh okay so let's go to uh the segment that we are doing now every time you're on the show and if you're listening if something if there's a pause and then a yell it's because georgia has walked it off but it is time for what's good brah starring kayla bro where she names a player and a team from last weekend who was really, really good. So Caleb bro, what's good. All right. I got to, uh, I was going to struggle with this one. I thought about, you know, you know, who did really good this weekend was somebody like Jenna Laird from Missouri. She's the freshman of the league. She basically set the tone for that series, but the person that I keep going back to, and I want to have this conversation with you guys in this moment is Kayla Kowalik from Kentucky. Cause despite the fact that they lost, she's just too freaking good this year. Her numbers, she's batting 532 right now. She's batting like 528 in SEC play. So her numbers do not drop at all in conference play comparatively. And, and Kentucky's had a good schedule. They've had a tough schedule. They've played some good opponents. So when I look at somebody like her that can do it all, I mean, she is so freaking good. That being said, I would vote for her right now today as the SEC player of the year over Braxton Burnside. And I think that's a, an unpopular opinion, but to me, Kayla Kowalik, Braxton Burnside, great hits the long ball. We know what her bread and butter is. She's really good at that one thing. She crushes it. (laughs) Kayla Kowalik can literally drag bunt, slap, hit away, power, hit away, steal bases, catch, Like she's a pure athlete and she's batting 532, which now after all of these Oklahoma Sooners after playing Georgia tonight, I can see their, their numbers are dropping just a touch. She's going to have the best batting average in the country potentially. And she still has 10 home runs on the year, 11 home runs, excuse me, 11, even better. So that's my, what's good is that Kayla Kowalk is really stinking good. And she's my, you know, dark horse for the, player of the year which i would vote for her if i could today I mean, well, like before we uh, before we give our thoughts are going to extras in athens all right tom what do you think i say she's such an anomaly because yeah she catches she leads off and plays center field she and, and like i said she's a five tool player 100 uh, i think it's i think it's going to come down to a three-person race for the player of the year because I, I don't think you can write off bailey Hempill on that yet either uh, because, you know, if she goes on a tear here the last couple of weekends, uh, I think she could really put up those numbers depending on what the other ones do. But I think um, she, Kowalik can certainly put herself into the conversation. It's just whether or not she's going to be punished if her team finishes kind of middle of the pack in the conference. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I think that's tough, too, is when you think about that conversation, best player on the best team, if Arkansas wins, do you give the nod to the player of the year to the best player on the best team? But you know, I, I think what some of the mistake has been for a lot of these SEC teams is you can kind of hold Braxton Burnside accountable by walking her. You can't walk Kayla Cole because she's just going to steal. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> uh, well, all right. So I guess we'll do one more question before we wrap up. They're going to extra in Athens. Who wins this game? By the time oh, people yeah. listen to this, we'll either, I mean, the people will know, but probably by the time we go, finish I'm recording go the next segment. Georgia just came back. I'm going to go, why not? What do they have to lose? They have nothing to lose. Oklahoma has everything to lose. I'll, I'll take Georgia in this game. Tom? I mean, I'm still going to say Oklahoma wins, but 
Yeah, <laughs> uh, not to be a kill killjoy, but I mean, come on, it's Oklahoma. But based on uh, the technicality, Georgia or right, which is unbelievable. <laughs> if Oklahoma sets this record because Georgia didn't step on home plate, uh, it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, ridiculous. <sighs> I will be very twenty twenty one. Right. I will say, uh, I'm going to say Oklahoma wins. Mary Wilson Avan is very close to throwing 140 pitches in this game. And that's a lot against Oklahoma. (laughs) All right. uh, Before we let you go, Caleb Rowe, any final thoughts about anything in college softball? I'm stalling a little bit because I kind of want to see if something else happens while we're doing this. Uh, I know, right? No, I got, I got nothing else, but I can tell you right now, like these are the games that make me excited and love calling this sport and talking about this sport because I mean, you just on paper, you look at these two programs, Oklahoma and Georgia specifically, and Georgia had no business even being in this game. Mm -hmm. And here they are with an opportunity and extras to go upset the undefeatable Oklahoma Sooners. And that's just what's so cool is that you just get magic moments like this. And it's a Tuesday, (laughs) middle of the week, like we're in the middle of conference play, kind of creeping our way towards the postseason and just getting me fired up for the end of the season. Uh, so good. Caleb Bro joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast, stealing second with Bro. Thank you so much, as always, for hopping on. I Like I said, I love when we have you on the show because it seems like we do something different every single time. And now this has turned into a live reaction pod. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good being on here, guys. All right, folks, that was Caleb Bro. Tom, my favorite part. I love, I like, we're, we're in the middle of a conversation. And all yeah. of a sudden, Georgia ties it up. I, I love the answers we get from Kayla Bro, but mostly I love the unique situations we always find ourselves in every time she's on the show. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like I said, when we've, we've had her, uh, all three of us together in one conference room in Clearwater, we've had, we've had numerous different situations with, with Bro when she comes on. Uh, we sprung new segments on with her with what's up, bra, and that type of stuff. So what's good, bra? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we do all sorts of fun things. And, and this is also fun because I didn't have a TV in the room, so I didn't know what was going on and you guys are reacting. So I assume something good happened for Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully we can do more with her. Uh, We'll see what the postseason looks like, but fingers crossed we're all together at some Mm -hmm. point. Speaking of, uh, just reacting, are you ready to react to my bracketology, Tom? Because as expected, it is wildly different from last week. (laughs) Because well, yeah, there's a lot of these people I remember we were looking at, and then uh, some of them lost. So that's going to definitely change some things up. Yeah, that'll happen when we get back. It's time to round third, folks. We'll see you on the other side here on the Out of the Box Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Tom, it is time to round third with my bracketology. Now, yeah. It has, I have literally in the last 10 minutes had to go and change the numbers because of the result that has happened tonight in game one of a doubleheader as we record. Georgia in extra innings has knocked off Oklahoma. We reacted kind of earlier in the show when we found out the final score, but now, Tom, you've got a chance to to give your feelings because we did say a while back that if there was going to be a loss, Athens felt like a trappy kind of spot Tuesday, doubleheader midweek game at right after they play Texas 
And uh, while I don't think it impacts Oklahoma's resume, this is a huge boost for Georgia, who I've got on the outside. But let me tell you already, it took one game, and they've gotten a lot closer to being a host than they were about two hours ago. I think they're closer to it. And when you say host, you're talking about being a seated team. Because, right, correct. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, I think I like to watch, I like to see what happens here in game number two. Again, I think we both accept, expect uh, Oklahoma to come out and, and beat the brakes off of Georgia here in game two, but we'll see what happens. Because I, I don't know if you have this one really good game and a huge win, which I'm not taking anything away from the win. I don't know if that kind of – I don't think it totally erases – some of the question, you know, the, the head scratching losses from earlier in the year. So, but I agree. I, I think it's certainly a huge bullet point on that resume to were the team that ended Oklahoma's streak here to start off the season. For sure. No other team has that on their resume, which is always big. All right. Absolutely. Here is my, uh, here's my top 16. Number one, still there, Oklahoma. Number two, UCLA. Number three, Florida. Number four, Alabama. Number five, Florida State. Six, Arkansas, seven, Washington, eight, Oregon, nine from 15 last week to nine, Oklahoma State, from unranked to 10, Arizona State, Arizona 11, Texas 12, Virginia Tech 13, LSU 14, Tennessee 15, Missouri 16, and as I said, I have adjusted behind. It now goes Kentucky, Georgia, Duke, Clemson, my next four, with I guess Auburn as the five one, but uh, we'll see. They're moving, they're moving slowly up the list, but they've got a long way to climb. So, sure. Tom, please pepper me with your questions about bracketology. All right. Hit me again with who your number 13 was. My number 13 was Virginia Tech. Yes, that would be Alabama's super regional matchup. If I if that was given that option right now and I could just take it and run with that, I would love that if I'm Alabama. I think that's a good matchup in comparison to what some of the other possible matchups are. So I think that I think that would be great if you're an Alabama fan, because I'd assume also that that game, that series, that super regional would be in Tuscaloosa, too. So I think that that's a good matchup there, because I don't know what Virginia Tech's facilities are like, but I don't think they're anywhere near Road Stadium for those predetermined sites. Yeah. Um, so Oklahoma stays ahead of UCLA, even with the loss. Yes. Uh, I, again, am thinking that I test will be the big reason why. Um, tonight revealed some things about Oklahoma. They gave up a 5-2 lead. Mm-hmm. They did not, I don't believe, got a base runner on in extra innings in either the eighth or ninth. Yeah, they went one, two, Oklahoma. three. Oklahoma. Yeah, so that is alarming, um, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, I kept Oklahoma there right now. Now that is also how I feel right now. And again, I've had like 15 minutes to adjust the numbers. <laughs> I haven't actually put it side by side. There are probably a lot of people that disagree, and honestly, I don't hate those disagreements. It makes a lot of sense. Oklahoma's resume pretty weak. Just one top 10 win in the RPI. UCLA has eight. So that's, I mean, (laughs) that's already a gigantic bullet point in favor of UCLA. I think just right now, I test Oklahoma has for the entire season looked like the stronger option. So I am putting Oklahoma there for now. If you asked me in another two hours, it probably Mm. would be flipped. 
Interesting 116 matchup there, too, with uh, Missouri at 16 is the team we've called Oklahoma light uh, throughout this year. So I think that'd be an interesting matchup. I don't think it would go well for Missouri, but I think it'd be an interesting matchup uh, overall. Uh, what did Oklahoma State do to, to warrant their huge leap up to number nine? So Oklahoma State's resume got a lot stronger this week. They had a lot of teams that they have beaten move up in the RPI. Their uh, average RPI of wins went up by like 10 points. Their average RPI of losses got better as well. They've got three RPI top 10 wins. They're 3-0. and I like the winning record against the RPI top 25, which is seven and two. They have a lot of wins plus a really good winning percentage. They have 15 top 50 RPI wins, which is better than most, certainly better than all the other teams around them and the seedings that I've got like seven through 13. So I had Oklahoma state low last week because those raw numbers weren't great, but they got helped out by their opponents this week. And I think despite there being some puzzling losses on the record, I think the good things outweigh the bad for the Cowgirls. And LSU remains interesting to me, too. They didn't make it out of the weekend unscathed at NC State, uh, but they still remain in your top 16. Yeah, and a couple reasons for that. One, still got that number one strength of schedule, that number seven non-conference strength of schedule, but they did drop. And I actually had them at 16 in my initial mock-up because of a couple reasons. One, they're 0-7 against the RPI top 10. It's just not, it's not what you want. Mm-hmm. You want your win-loss percentage to be much better than zero. So that's not what you're looking for. They now have a new worst loss, which is NC State. NC State 107 in the RPI. That's pretty much the only bad loss for LSU. What did help them and why I moved them up to 14, they've got head-to-head over Tennessee and they've got head-to-head over Missouri, and both series were on the road. So that, to me, was enough to keep LSU ahead of those two teams and, uh, and make sure that they were still in the middle of the second half of the uh, regional seeds. Sure. And if you're, I think if you're Arkansas and you're an Arkansas fan, you're saying, we've swept every SEC series we played except for the Alabama one, uh, and we're still – third in the as far as sec teams in this bracketology is there any way that you see with that sense considering arkansas doesn't play florida even if arkansas is able to win the conference do you see any way that arkansas is able to leapfrog over florida and alabama no if they win the conference yes obviously i i personally think that should be a bump the committee has not agreed with me in the past but the big number right now arkansas has one rpi top 10 win alabama has five Florida has six. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's those are numbers that you're not going to get back if you're Arkansas based on the schedule that's ahead. The Razorbacks also have the worst loss of the three teams by far. Florida's worst loss, twice to UCF at number 28. Alabama's worst loss, 35. Arkansas's worst loss, 74 against McNeese. Now, Arkansas fans will say, but Gray, that was that game where they had traveled and the first game went to 17 innings after they had been on the bus all day long. And yeah, I know. I agree. We basically said that that game should have been a wash, except unfortunately, that's not how it's going to look on the sheet. That is a loss to a team with the 74th best RPI in the country. So I think that Arkansas doesn't have enough of the good that Alabama and Florida have, and they have some things that are worse than what the Gators and the Crimson Tide have on their resume right now. But I do think Arkansas 
has, barring a straight up collapse, is I would almost say more of a lock to host or more of a lock to be top eight than Alabama because they've got that inside track to win the conference. It may be a situation where, you know, because there's a lot of years where it doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. 2019, it was apparently the championship of the tournament was the most important game in the history of college softball. But <laughs> it may be where Arkansas, even if they win the conference and their number one seed in the SEC tournament, they may need to get some big wins in the SEC tournament to really kind of solidify themselves. Uh, it certainly could be. And you said South Alabama is 35? Yep. Yeah. So, so maybe Alabama shouldn't shut down their program because they lost one game to South Alabama. Nah, I think it was okay. Also, if you're Arkansas, one more thing to ponder, you would love, if you really want to pass Florida and Alabama, you would love to draw those two teams in the SEC tournament because it would give you a chance to even the season long series with the Crimson Tide. And if you get one shot at Florida, you know, you got, if you win, there you go. You're one to know. And that's the head to head that should matter. Right. Anything Which, else stick out to you, Tom? I was saying if those if the seeds hold up from what they are, uh, if you're Arkansas, you're not going to face both of them. You'll only face one because Alabama and Florida right now, the two three would be in the other side of the bracket. But right. yeah, it it would be one where you don't want there to be an upset. You want to face the toughest possible if you're Arkansas. Um, interesting to note that uh, Arizona State, because they did get that series victory against Arizona, have moved way up here recently. The, the Sun Devils. Yeah. 0-5 against the RPI top 10, but now five wins against the top 25, seven against the top 50. Those numbers better than Arizona's, you know, decently convincingly. Uh, they have three more top 25 RPI wins. They've got a couple better wins overall, uh, Arizona State does, than Arizona, even though Arizona does have that really impressive win at Florida State, who's fourth in the RPI. I just think that, like I, like I always say, head-to-head has to matter, and it's impossible to ignore that Arizona State swept the three games that do matter in that series. Now, Arizona State should, and I hope they will be, penalized for essentially throwing game three away. I mean, they did yeah. not give a flipping, flying crap about playing that game, and you could tell by the way they handled the pitching situation there. And I hope that goes against them because you should try to win every game. That should be yeah. the goal but I'm not sure that it will. So I just think overall, you look at these 16, I think you have a pretty good mix of kind of who we thought was going to be there. A few kind of teams that have uh, made noise that we weren't expecting. And I think this would be a fun 16. It will obviously change as we move forward, but uh, I I like it where it's at right now. And as I said, I think if you're Alabama, you'll you'll be happy with the Virginia tech as the four thirteen. A uh, you know Florida LSU matching up in super regionals would be very interesting too. As at three fourteen, yeah, I'll go ahead and read the supers matchups before we move on and uh, talk about the RPI and do the mini mailbag. It would be one sixteen Oklahoma Missouri, a fun two fifteen UCLA Tennessee. Ashley Rogers versus that UCLA offense would be interesting, Tom. Mm. Yeah, I think Tennessee could win one of those games in the super regionals. I would not. Certainly pick the Lady Balls to win it, though. No, that, they're not going to win game two, I'll tell you that. No, no, no. <laughs> Florida LSU, the 3-14, 4-13, as we talked about, Alabama, Virginia Tech, 5-12, Florida State, and Texas. Mm, that would be that would be very interesting. How about this one? 
6-11, the new kids on the block, Arkansas versus one of the winningest programs in all of college softball history in terms of national championships and the winningest coach in the entire sports history, Mike Candrea and Arizona. Who got some good uh, injury news here this week. That's true. Yeah, APC, just a bone bruise. Let me tell you, Tony Mascarenas in the fantasy group chat was like sobbing via text, and we were all so happy to hear that. Yeah, I'm glad somebody got some good, some positive injury news here this week. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Not everything should be super devastating, and I'm glad it wasn't for uh, Alyssa Palomino Cardoza. A couple more. Washington, Arizona State, 7-10, and uh, 8-9 Oregon and Oklahoma State. Well, how many times, if that were to happen, Washington and Arizona State, how many times would they play the ending of the one game <laughs> going over and over how Arizona State was able to beat Washington there in that one game in, in Tempe earlier this year? I mean, the committee is notorious for liking storylines with their mm-hmm. matchup. All right, mm-hmm. that's my bracketology. As you said, Tom, it'll change, but I actually feel pretty good about it. The image is going to keep clearing up the next couple weeks. Absolutely. Now it is time to look at the mini mailbag. I fired out some things to the people and I got three questions back. We're going to go over some of the mini mailbag before we talk about a couple big non-SEC games this weekend. So here we go. You ready to answer some questions from the fans of the sport, not us? Absolutely, right. You're fans of softball, not necessarily fans of us. From at Mac underscore value which mm-hmm. I always enjoy getting questions from this person. How do y'all <laughs> feel about the lineup Murph put out on Sunday, Tom? It, it worked. Uh, it's, it's how I feel about it. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be the lineup moving forward. I think he had to do something to shake things up. You, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out uh, what you're going to be able to do, you know, without Bailey Dowling, without Claire Jenkins, uh, without Lexi Kilfoyle, and you, you knew you were going to face – Hightower, who pretty much had you stymied in game number one. So I think it would have been silly to kind of throw the exact same thing back out. Uh, So, you know, I think in theory, I like having a second leadoff person in the six hole. And it worked because Alexis Mack led off, I think, three different innings from from this from the six hole. So that's why you put her there. Uh, You just need more production from her if you do put her there. Yeah, I feel like we got a look at the if the slappers aren't getting on base lineup this is the uh, contingency where all right well we're going to rely on the people who do consistently get on base to kind of start the offense and see if the slappers can get things going later on and to their credit mac and brown had their best game of the series in game three when they were moved down in the order so i like it is it permanent? No, of course not. But is that what might happen if you have a couple games in a row where Mac and Brown just aren't getting on base and aren't productive? For sure. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And uh, again, that's talking a lot about what we talked about earlier with KP sides. You got to get her up as many times as possible uh, when she's the main one hitting the ball and hoping that she gets on and let other people knock her in. Or if people get on before her as second or third time through the lineup, she can knock in any, even from the leadoff spot. Next question from at... Castillo MR, do sure. you think having the predetermined sites is going to make it harder for an SEC team to advance to OKC? Worried teams like Bama and Florida are going to host, but get some tough Southeast competition from other SEC teams, Sunbelt 
and ACC. Kind of going back to what I talked about with the Georgia-Oklahoma situation, I think actually non-familiarity is a more of a recipe for an upset than familiarity can be sometimes. So uh, I don't know if it really had that much effect one way or the other. Interesting. I also do feel like at the end of the day, the good teams are the good teams. And and this is why, at least in the last eight years, we really haven't seen many upsets and regionals. And the ones that do pull off those upsets usually don't make it past supers. With the parity that there is in this sport, which is becoming, you know, outside of the big two this year, uh, but that we don't get more upsets in regionals. And maybe we'll see more of it this year because of the predetermined site situation but i just i'm not 100 percent sure there's going to be that much different this year as opposed to previous yeah. years with this predetermined situation final question from at jenny ray silver helmets yay or nay i love them but we should never wear them again i like them yeah i thought they looked great i, I think I, was, I think we should really whip cool. them out strategically Let's let's wear them in a game against a team where we know the hitting's not going to be a problem. <laughs> just just take it okay, out of yeah. take it out of condition. Okay, that that may be that may be what you need to do. Got to get a a a curse breaker uh, game. Yeah. If you can get one of those, may, maybe that's what you do. But like I said, they were really cool. I liked what they represented the 25th anniversary, the silver anniversary of Alabama softball. Uh, but. Uh, the two games we wore them uh, didn't didn't hit the ball so well. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just got to switch up the mojo, but I do like the silver yeah. helmets. I, I hope too. we see them again this year. Some big games outside of the SEC conference play this week. Tonight, game two is already started between Oklahoma and Georgia. Tomorrow. Is that Oklahoma would be, up by 10 yet? Not yet, but okay. it's close. <laughs> Wednesday, we've got Texas State at Texas, Louisville at Kentucky, Clemson at South Carolina. This weekend, just two series that jumped out at me. One, Washington-UCLA. We talked about that with Bro. The other, Northwestern at Michigan, kind of the one of the battles for Big Ten supremacy. At Michigan, I fully expect Michigan to win three out of four, maybe sweep. Yeah, I would. I think that too. It's, it's just still so hard to know what's going on in the Big Ten because they're only playing each other. Uh, they're going to get really, I think, really hurt by that decision. Uh, as we move into postseason one because i think it's becoming more and more clear how unnecessary it was and then two it's just you have put your own teams behind the eight ball so much because there's no way to compare they're off doing their own thing and then all of a sudden they're going to show up expecting to be slight you know slotted in where they normally are and they just don't have the resume to be able to back that up so i think you're going to in some ways that's that's bad for them but at the same time i think they're going to be some two and three seeds in some, you know, kind of underseeded uh, two and three seeds in the tournament. If Michigan is a two seed, and I assume they will be, no. you, you do mm-hmm. not want to look and see Michigan in your bracket. And teams like Kentucky, if they host, that's a bad matchup for you. I'm just saying yeah. it right now. All right, so that's it for rounding third. Tom, I think it's time to head home. How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm excited. Let, let's do it. Mm, so much to get to when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Here on the Out of the Box podcast, that's Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. We are guiding you on the funky train of softball as we head home here on the Out of the Box podcast. We've got a lot to get to in this part of the show. We've got series picks, 
and we've got off the wall. Tom, let's start with picks. Mm-hmm. I, I bloated the list. We had a bunch different. Yeah. And you still did better than me. <laughs> you tried to stack the deck. What I did was freaking pick Texas to win a game. What what idiot was what I? Because Oklahoma never loses. Oh, wait. They just did. <laughs> It's 3 nothing now, by the way, in game two. <laughs> of course it is. So you have 16, I have 11. You got Missouri 3-0, Ole Miss 2-1, LSU 2-1, Oklahoma 3-0. I got three correct, Auburn 2-1, which remarkable, LSU yeah. 2-1, and Tennessee 2-1. Now are you ready, Tom, to dive into this week? Let's go. I'm excited. This is going to be – it's an interesting week because with Alabama being out of conference, you can – uh, kind of focus on some of these other series a little bit more. Well, we will pick Alabama later on. Well, yeah, we will pick them but, too. Sure, right. So Georgia, Tennessee, Tom, you're up first. What do you have? So how will Georgia lick their wounds after the run rule loss they're about to have, but still splitting a doubleheader with Oklahoma? I'm going to say Tennessee wins the Rodgers game, so Tennessee 2-1. Interesting. I've got a Georgia 2-1 win. Now – to be fair, I feel like I've been wrong about every Georgia series this year, but I don't trust – I don't know. Which which team's backups do I trust more? Right, because it'll be Rodgers against the truth twice, so who's who's got that middle game? Turner pitched well against South Carolina. But yeah, again, she it, did. It's South I'm, Carolina. Though. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to go Tennessee two out of three. I feel better about that. That seems like the smarter pick. I'll go Tennessee two out of three. Okay. Well, it was my pick, so it's the smarter one from what we're saying. <laughs> Thank you. Missouri <laughs> at Arkansas. Does Arkansas finally lose a game to someone that's not Alabama in SEC play? Yes. I'm going to say Arkansas wins 2-1, two, uh, two, but I think Missouri gets one because Larissa's going to help us out. <laughs> you know, I no one else will, but I, I, I feel good about Larissa getting one. Yeah, she's a friend. Go, yeah, I've got Arkansas two out of three as well, but I think Missouri offensively can mash and uh, yeah. and can outscore the Razorbacks if they need to, especially, I think, in game three. I think that'll be the one that Missouri takes. Texas A&M at Mississippi State, Tom. Oh, wow. The Mississippi State team, who has been just awful all season, or the Texas A&M team, which has been awful the past three weeks. I – oh, I feel terrible doing it, but I'm going to say Mississippi State wins a game, and I'll go Tatum two one. Wow, yeah, I'm gonna agree. We're we're gonna keep <laughs> agreeing right now. Mississippi State is gonna is gonna find a way. Andy Certainly Willis, Andy Willis can quiet the Aggie bats long enough. Hopefully, maybe. <laughs> All right, we'll see. Yes. How much are you buying into the enigmas, Tom? LSU at Kentucky. Oh my! And by the way, I do want to point out uh, because we haven't talked about it yet. Obviously, condolences to Mary Beth Gorsuch and her family and the entire LSU program after Gorsuch lost her father this past week. Um, I, we found out I think hours before they played that Friday game against NC State, and uh, just I, I can't even imagine the the mm. pain that she and yeah. the entire program feel. Yeah, just really tough situation. Absolutely, thoughts and prayers from all of us. But yeah, the the enigmas against the team that's become an enigma, which is weird. Yeah. I mean, how, how about this? The most confusing team in the SEC versus Kentucky. Right, like exactly. That, 
you know what? I think this actually sets up really well. I'm going to say Kentucky sweeps them. Whoa. You're drunk. Because it would be very Kentucky and, frankly, very LSU for that to happen this weekend. See, I had Kentucky written down 2-1. I thought you were going to take LSU to win two out of three, and I was going to say, no, I'm leaning into the Enigmanists. Kentucky two mm. out of three. Then you just go up and pick a straight sweep, you psycho. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we both have Kentucky winning the series, which would be interesting because mm. right now in my bracketology, LSU ahead of Tennessee and Missouri because of that head-to-head. Kentucky just off the page. If Kentucky could get that head-to-head over LSU, that would be really big for them. That may knock LSU down to 15, 16, or maybe even out mm. if that happens. South Carolina at Florida. Should we both say it at the same time? Yeah, Florida sweeps them. Florida sweeps. Yeah. Moving on. I mean, there, there's no conversation. That'll. Be I mean, a- maybe if you know you just have one of the underachieving Carolina pitchers just go out there and and throw a gym. Similar to what happened in Game One against Tennessee. Possibly, I could see maybe South Carolina winning a game, but I, I would be silly to pick it at this point. Auburn at Ole Miss. If they keep hitting, then uh, you you would almost say at this point Auburn would be favored in this series, even though Ole Miss has a better record and, and is higher in the conference. But I think I'm going to need to see it one more week before I start picking it. So I'm going to say Ole Miss wins 2-1. I'm going to agree. I've got Ole Miss 2-1, but I don't like it. I don't like picking that. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it either, but that's, that's what I'm going with. I do think maybe the team did take it personally that Auburn did not apply to, or I guess did not put in a bid to host regionals because yeah. let's say they sweep this all of a sudden they're at nine and nine in conference play and their RPI is still around the top yeah. 10. Yeah. I mean, that if they get a sweep or something like that, then yeah, they should have put in to host. That's for sure. I just, I still look back and see this lineup and nobody in Auburn's lineup still scares me. Uh, even with them getting what they did against Kentucky. I'll need to see it again one more time before I can can start picking them with any type of confidence. Mm. All right, Washington at UCLA, our one national series this weekend. Uh, remember, we are picking games one, two, and four, a.k.a. the ones that count, quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, so, Tom, what do you have? So, yeah, I'm, I'm weighing the dominance of Gabby Plain so far this year against my internal hatred of Washington – Going back and forth. I think the hatred's going to win out. I'm going to say UCLA sweeps them. Beats Gabby twice. Yeah. I've got 2-1 UCLA. I mean, Gabby will get a game. Come on, Tom. But actually, I like your pick. Keep it. So Okay. <laughs> okay, I will. So that's the, uh, that's the big national series, Tom. Should be interesting to watch. And uh, in the games where Gabby playing pitches, be prepared to take it some time off. and uh, We'll see. Yeah. Bring a book. Finally, we will close with Louisiana at Alabama. Now, these are two games, and I should point out, weather is expected on Saturday, which is supposed to be game one. So don't be shocked if this is a Sunday doubleheader. Yeah, which, that'd be fun. You know, always lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, what do you have? Cajuns and Crimson Tide. Because I think Alabama is still going to be shuffling some people around uh, lineup-wise, if Alabama is not able to find one that really cohesively fits together for one of these games uh, could be an issue. So I think at this point, I'm going to have to pick a one, one split. That's what I have too. Yeah. Now that being, do I think Alabama has the capability of, of sweeping? Absolutely. It's just, uh, there's just a, a few too many unknowns right now. 
the if they're if Alabama comes out and really gets something to gel together tomorrow, obviously Southern Miss not as good as Louisiana, but if they get something that really gels together, I might feel a little bit better about picking a sweep, but I just I think I have to hedge the bets and go one one. Yeah, I will as well. I will say something's up with Summer Ellison and Lamb in the circle. Neither has been like great. They've both been good, but mm-hmm. they just haven't looked right this season. We will we'll see if the Alabama offense can take advantage of that. I do think that if there's Louisiana's issues pitching kind of play into Alabama's current weakness, which is trying to figure out that offense. So right. we'll see how it works out. It's 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 a it's a really good it's gonna be a really interesting matchup. I think it, you know, depend, you know, showing where it comes in the schedule, I think is it's it's a really good spot, I think, overall for Alabama to try to work some things out against a good team. But and it's not one that, like you said, if you lose a game, that it that it kills you. Right. And another reason why I'm picking the split, this game, these games, they mean a heck of a lot more to Louisiana than they do to Alabama. Louisiana right now is number 22 in the RPI. They're trying to fight for that top 16 spot. They almost made the short list for bracketology. If they win two games at Alabama, that will shoot them up. Those rankings. So they really need those victories here this weekend. And I think they know that Alabama, you could split and be just fine. All right. So those are our picks, Tom. And now it's time to go over our picks for the craziest things said this week and there was plenty it's Uh, time for off the wall who would you like to go first tom uh i'll start us off okay go for it this is kind of a combination of two different things from this weekend and it was following the win over florida on sunday saw a couple of comments one that was a a good i guess (laughs) that's well, you you won you won the game against Florida. Be happy about this one game. Don't you got to be able to move past the previous two and just be glad as an Alabama fan you won a game. So there was that, and then the the other comment of, well, without Montana Fouts, Alabama would be middle of the pack in the conference. Well, I think I can think of two teams right now that if you took their number one ace completely off the team, they would not be significantly worse than they are right now. And it's the big two, UCLA and Oklahoma. If if Rachel Garcia said, I'm going to go play the Olympics and I'm not playing this year, I think UCLA would still be pretty dang good. Uh, if G. Juarez just left the team, I think Oklahoma would still be able to mash the ball. Uh, so I think those two would be all right. Pretty much anyone else in the entire country, if you took your ace and best player off the team, yeah, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to do good. <laughs> but I don't understand why that is – the response when that said great player has a great game. I don't understand how that, the response of, Hey, good job, Montana. I'm so glad you're on the team. If you weren't, we would really suck. I don't know why that's the thought. I don't understand how that, how, why that is the reasoning behind everything. And I, that's just not a great outlook to have as a fan. So uh, I just, I didn't get those comments. Uh, it was, it was just very strange. I saw one comment that said, Besides pitching, Alabama only has one player that could start for Florida. I assume that was Bailey Hemphill, and that's just incorrect. It's totally wrong. I mean, Florida yeah. would love to have Alyssa Brown right now. I think yeah. Florida would like to have somebody like that. They would take Mac. They would take Tau. They would take a good number KB. of Alabama players, right? KB. I mean, yeah. you don't right think now, KB's? You don't think KB sides would start over Jamie Hoover? I'm pretty sure. Really? really? <laughs> you don't think that? Come on. No Nothing offense to Jamie say, Hoover, but yeah, no, I, I didn't mean that. It's like that that terrible Jamie Hoover, but I mean, come on, KB sides would start over. 
Yeah. So that was, uh, that was one thing. And then, uh, I did want to, I did want to address the article thing. I'm not going to go through and fact check the whole thing, even though there were incorrect things said there. Mm-hmm. Basically, again, I'm just going to reiterate my message because I want to remind all of these people who write at different sites, we are all on the same team here. We are mm-hmm. all covering the same sport. We are all covering the same team within that sport. If you have questions, shoot us a DM. We would be glad to answer because I tweeted that, that, hey, here's the deal with Killfoil. We talked about it. If you want to know about it, shoot me a DM. The person who wrote the article did not shoot me a DM. At least eight fans who said, yeah, I couldn't watch or listen this weekend. What happened? Shot me a DM and I explained it. I was like, yes, day to day. It's a minor injury. It's from pitching. It requires rest, yada, yada, the whole spiel. And they were like, cool, thanks. Like, I mean, we're not trying to hide anything. But also we are in a situation where we become privy to information maybe a little bit before the public can know because of strategy and because you don't want Tim Walton to find out about it two hours before the lineup is released. We are here to help and we're here to inform the people that is our job. And uh, yeah, so if you have questions, just ask us. We're cool with yeah. it. I mean, we're our DMs are always open. I usually get to everything sometimes. I don't know. 60% of the time, it works every time. Yes. Um, I am so glad that there is multiple outlets that are covering the sport in, in general. And the University of Alabama softball team in particular, happy that there are, there are people that are interested and they're wanting to cover the game. And I'm not saying you have to be a expert on the sport to be able to cover it. I, I know that's part, of, that's part of being a beat writer sometimes is you have to cover sports that you may not be uh, 100%, you know, in the know about 100% of uh, all the time. So with that being said, you know, maybe find ways to come up, make comments and criticisms without trying to make yourself sound like an expert when you aren't one. And if you have questions, like you said, ask the people that that have seen every game in the past seven years or that type of stuff. If you're going to say someone didn't deserve an award that they worked their butt off to win, uh, at least cite the stats that are actually applied to that award. You know, there, there's, there are other things, but again, I, we're, I don't want to give too much credit to anything, any one article or anything like that. It's just, you know, there's, there are ways to be, become more informed and do more of providing the content that your readers want uh, that, that, are, that are available. Yeah. And I think this is a good teaching lesson because there probably is a lot of confusion about how these awards work. So, because that part of the article did rub me the wrong way because I thought, the stats cited as an explanation for claims made, which by the way, if you're going to make a claim, then present an alternative, were not what goes into the awards. For SEC awards, pitcher of the year, player of the year, freshman of the year, I guess this year, newcomer of the year, it is all conference play stats. They're not, they don't care how you did against Marshall in March. They don't care about that South Alabama game. They don't care about that time Charlotte came in to play you in February. Those do not matter. The only stats that matter are conference play stats. Another part of that, the nominees for those awards are nominated by the team. So let me just tell you right now, Montana Fouts was not nominated in 2019 for SEC Pitcher of the Year. Why? Because the people who were doing the nominating, i.e. some of the coaching staff, knew that Montana Fouts was going to win Freshman of the Year and they wanted to spread the wealth and felt like Sarah had a good shot to win SEC Pitcher of the Year. So said, hey, we'll nominate Montana for this. We'll nominate Sarah for that. And, and Sarah deserved both. it. 
Yeah. And Sarah deserved it. Yeah. So again, you know, I'll just end it now. Montana was never in the running for SEC Pitcher of the Year in 2019. She was not nominated for that award. She was nominated for National Freshman of the Year and got screwed. But that's that's <laughs> yes. a totally different. That's a totally different argument. <laughs> so so and we. But here's the thing: we have facts and stats to back that up. Why we have that opinion, right? Uh, so there's there's that. Here's another one that again that this general consensus thought that Alabama's hitting has been bad for an ex- uh, extended period of time. Uh, even with what has happened here this weekend, Alabama is still at the top of virtually every offensive category in the SEC and SEC games played, which are the games that matter the most, especially this year when everyone's out of conference schedule. It's just whatever you could get get thrown together. Right. And whoever was available to play. You know, you take a look at the conference stats where Alabama is playing the toughest pitching – and Alabama's offense is still really, really good. They've had a couple of off weekends, one of them against, uh, you know, a pitcher in Hightower who was pitching as good as, as we've seen her pitch. Same thing with the Arkansas weekend with Storms and half, but, or with Storms particularly, the Alabama got to half. And, you know, it, you're not going to, you're not going to hit, those are not the pitchers you're going to get 12 and 15 hits off of. You know, you're going to have to get the timely ones. And Alabama was able to do that Sunday. Uh, but, Offensively, Alabama has put up the numbers. It's to, they've ran some some a combination of running into some really good pitchers combined with injuries, yeah. and you know, and, and I I don't understand why the just this again. Everyone's going to have their pet criticisms. They're always going to go back to, but they're just not based in what's actually happening. Totally agree. Um, yeah, the offense. I mean, you can say it sucks, but we've got numbers that. Actually, say it was way worse like five years ago, and it wasn't even close. Yeah. Like the oh, yeah. the 2017-2018 run, that offense, not very good. This offense leaps and bounds ahead of that group statistically. Yeah. Even those offenses, though, didn't have the best numbers, got timely hits at times, which is why Alabama made Super Regionals so above right. those years. Yeah, um, still was a top 16 seed, right. so yes. it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know it's it's not it's not the most fun thing to do, but even in in series like this past one, keeping keeping things in perspective of where we are, what's going on in the program, and understanding where and not making excuses, but understanding reasons why things are are happening as they are, uh, I don't think is is making excuses or not having high expectations. You should have high expectations. You shouldn't have unreasonable expectations. At the end of the day, as we have said many times, it's a blessing we're even playing softball yes. right now. Am, am I disappointed Alabama's probably not going to defend the 2019 SEC regular season championship? Yes. But do I understand why it's happening? Also, yes. Also, if someone could beat Arkansas, like ever, that would be great as well. Somebody, we, uh, we could only play them three times. Could somebody please get a win against the Razorbacks? Please. It, Alabama could have won out starting with the Florida series. Right. And still not catch Arkansas. It means because nothing. Because no one, no one would, will beat them. I don't understand it. Why? Okay. Gear this week will not be at the games at Rhodes because I am doing TV for all three. So, sorry, Tom. Wednesday, <sighs> Saturday, Sunday, you're alone. I'm, hmm. I'm with Sydney, off in Bryant-Denny. I miss you, but I also miss when Sid brings food. So it's a double gut punch to me in more ways than one. 
She's hoping to bring some soon. I, my fingers are crossed. Kate is supposed to bring us stuff up from the press box, but she always is working and doing other things. <sighs> what What is she doing, Tom, besides Jeez. operating the entire program? <laughs> what would a director of operations be doing on a game day? That's more important than bringing us food from the from the clubhouse. <laughs> we're not allowed to be in because we're bubble adjacent <laughs> and not in the bubble this year. Uh, all viable questions, partner. Absolutely. <laughs> so that being said, gear will be back for Athens. I will have the crap, all the stuff, koozies, stickers, shirts. We'll take it to Athens. We'll give them out at 2 a.m. with Calzones. It'll be awesome. So come and come and get those next yes. weekend in Athens. Looking forward to that, and that's going to be a, that's going to be a fun trip. I know we got another uh, series to play before then, and we'll do another podcast. But I'm I'm looking forward to this series in 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 Athens against the Bulldogs, depending on, yeah, we'll see what happens here the next few games that they play, but uh, it's always a fun trip. Yeah, I my opinion of Georgia has shifted so much in the last hour, and it's already kind of shifting back as Oklahoma takes a 5 nothing lead in game two. Mm, yeah. Finally, Tom, we're probably going to tweet about the second Oklahoma game and more softball and, you know, the finale of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is coming yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, this week which is absurd how do you feel about that tom it's like an all-star cast too i don't want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it yet but my gosh the cameos did you did you do what i did which was sit up alone in my house and go holy crap it's name of actor or actress (laughs) it's like that uh that that gif of uh leonardo dicaprio where he just sits up and he points yes it's like yeah that's that's what i was what it's a good spot. But either way, Tom, where can the people see you tweeting about this person who shall not be named appearing <laughs> right. on a Disney plus Marvel show? Sure. You know, there's that type of stuff. There's a bunch of Alabama stuff. Obviously there's some wrestling stuff from time to time at T Canterbury, R T R C A N T E R B U R Y. And I am at gray G R A Y underscore Robertson on the Twitter at out of the box underscore pod is the show account write a review, leave a rating, let us know what you like. Let us know if you go and visit any of the restaurants previously mentioned on Tom's Hungry. We did have somebody come up to us this week and say, hey, we're not from here. We're in Tuscaloosa. Where should we go? And I just was like, Tom, this is your moment. Please shine. (laughs) Let your light shine, friend. Thank you. Yes. And and we gave some good recommendations, I think. Yeah. So if you want Tuscaloosa recommendations, let me know. And Uh, We'll be looking for those Athens recommendations too for next weekend. Absolutely. I know. I mean, we're going to the last resort at some point and we're going to get calzones. But besides that, it's like four days. We need food. Yeah, I'm wide open. Absolutely. (laughs) So let us know, folks. Uh, What a show. Thank you to Kayla, bro. Just talking with bro is so much fun. It was just great to chat with her and react to that crazy Oklahoma, Georgia game one in real time. Yes. Thank you to bro. And thank you for Georgia for beating oklahoma we got a moment a podcast moment (laughs) (laughs) well that's it for this episode of out of the box again thank you to kayla bro for joining us thank you listeners for tuning in it's always fun we love the mailbag thank you to everybody that sent in questions we'll do a full mailbag later in the year but with bracketology i can only put in a little bit but uh, (laughs) keep sending in your questions as the season goes forward we don't, we don't even necessarily, we don't have to have a segment, but if you just have a question at any point, like I said, just go ahead and send those in. We may address it during the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We've got 
three games this week, Southern Miss Wednesday night, and then Louisiana Saturday, Sunday. But as I said, weather looks very meh on uh, on Saturday. So pay attention to the Alabama softball uh, Facebook page and Twitter account and RollTide.com. Keep in touch with possible time changes for this weekend. Those sites, Tom, will also have links to listen to us. And there are other ways, of course, to tune in on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Absolutely. As always, if you're in Tuscaloosa, you're listening to a good old-fashioned over-the-air radio. 93.3 FM has every game all year long. Uh, That's also on praise933.com and the Praise app. Speaking of apps, you can also find us now on the TuneIn app. Just search Alabama and then softball, and you can find us there for every game um, and also Sirius XM as well. So a bunch of different ways you can find Alabama softball from now until the end of the year. And as you said, go to RollTide.com on the schedule page, and next to every game there is a link for listen live, watch live, and live stats. So those are all available. You can get Tom, myself, you can get Gray, TV, radio, we got it all covered. Yes, just go to the same stuff and click watch, and that'll be Gray and Sydney. Go to the same stuff and click listen, that'll be Tom. That's how this weekend rolls. Just push the button. It's very That's all you got to do. Couldn't be simpler, as a matter of fact. Well, anything you'd like to add, Tom, before we head out? I'm, I'm ready for a good weekend to kind of see if Alabama can solidify some things. Uh, again, uh, shout out to Claire Jenkins, and I hope that she will be on the road to rec- recovery quickly. And we'll be looking for that donation for the Claire Jenkins press box when she uh, makes her millions of dollars soon. Uh, yes, the Out of the Box podcast presented by Claire Jenkins has a nice <laughs> ring to it. I think that's coming soon. I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> so for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. Like you said, Tom, shout out to Claire. We love you, CJ, and we hope you get back out there very very soon fun weekend ahead fun weekend of softball all across the country make sure you stay up to date with what's going on in the sec and around the nation because i'm sure everything will change by the time we get together next week until then we'll see you next time on the out of the box podcast